L and D unlocked parenting advice, marital advice, L and D HR. You get it all. We're non-discriminating on this show. This is L and D unlocked, a series for L and D and HR professionals looking to unlock the future of learning and development. Presented by Biz Library. L&D Unlocked is an ongoing series where we speak to industry experts and thought leaders about the future of work, workplace trends, and how your organization can prepare today for the challenges of tomorrow. Learn more at bizlibrary.com. Welcome to another episode of L&D Unlocked. I am your host, Chris Elliott, Chief Revenue Officer at Biz Library, and could not be more excited uh, for our guest today. Uh, we have with us, man, I'm sure you know well, uh, Dave uh, Ulrich. We've got professor, author, and I, I think uh, objectively one of the most modern forerunners when it comes to kind of HR theory and expertise. So, Dave, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. I've been so looking forward to this episode. Chris, I'm honored to join you. What a what a delight for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank of you. course. Um, hey, just a little bit before this, uh, we, we we were bantering. I was like, oh, let's let's stop and get the show started. Uh, I think many have uh, found you through through LinkedIn, and you mentioned that's something that that you've uh, picked up on on your post. I'm just just curious. Uh, yeah. What can we look forward to this year? What's your approach on? on that channel and uh, any any secrets for first you let me say here. why i was at a conference <laughs> in-person stuff in covid stopped i mean yep. it just dead stopped and what i used to find when i and i traveled a lot i did 240 flights a year 120 mm-hmm. nights a year in hotels at a conference and i was at an in-person conference this week it was the lunch conversation the pre-conference the after conference all of the chit chat gave me what the next year conference would be well guess Absolutely. what it's gone So where do you learn? What's your water cooler metaphor? And so I started posting on LinkedIn when COVID hit. And I found that people, I love it. It democratizes knowledge. People anywhere in the world can comment. At Mm -hmm. first, I'd get 20 to 30% really stupid comments. And then I just got rid of them. Um, And I'm getting now probably 5%. And you ignore it because you get an idea from someone in Pakistan or someone in Iran where I've never been. And what I look at, and my passion a lot, and and Chris, we don't know each other very well, but I sense some of you. I love idea friends. I have a lot of personal friends, that relationship friends. When I told my wife my idea friends are my best friends, she said, uh, we should talk. Uh, <laughs> but LinkedIn is a source of idea friends. So it's a great place to go to share ideas, to learn. Uh, I actually get frustrated, then I'll stop. There are some people in our field, they post and they never comment. And it's like, that's a TED Talk. It's one way. It's not interactive. For me, LinkedIn is an interaction. It's an engagement around ideas, and I enjoy yeah. it. I, I I couldn't agree more that it is. It facilitates really organic and, and genuine dialogue. And, and to your point, it gives a it gives a medium to creators who may not otherwise have that. In particularly in, in a pre COVID world, right? It was the yeah. conference. You know. Well. Is there anybody legacy and management thinking and just pick a big name, just pick a big yeah. name that you that you admire who's gone? Legacy, uh, Peter Drucker, Warren Bennis, Jake Albert, anybody? Sure, sure. I, just I mean, pick it, one. Um, let's go with Peter in, in your example. P- Peter Drucker. Yeah. I never I saw Peter Drucker present once because I'm old. Wouldn't it have been cool if Peter Drucker was on LinkedIn and you don't read the book that, you know, has been edited and published 
Um, you just see what's on your mind today. How do you think about this? And I, I had the privilege. I didn't whip Peter Drucker, but Jay Galbraith, Bill Ochi. I had the privilege of meeting some of these just iconic thinkers. And it was so fun to travel with them to learn. Oh how God. do you think? And, and I think LinkedIn gives us and other platforms, the opportunity to get in. And this podcast is an example. I mean, it's not scripted. It's what's in your mind today. Now I'm not Peter Drucker, but it's, it's so cool to be able to engage with people at a, at a more personal level. I don't want to just read the thing that's been edited by five editors and then biz library publishes this scripted, beautiful book with a book cover. No, I want to know what you were thinking about I know. and how you approach the problem. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do with LinkedIn. I, I, I agree. I think, uh, you know, for me, one of my favorite, uh, CEOs is Bob Iver. I, I love, love his publications. Like, man, I would love to get a look into your world in real time. You know, he's what was that Bob Eisner? Bob Iger. Yeah. From, uh, from Disney. Um, I, I, same thing. Wouldn't it be cool if you could go and he posts something and you get on and he responds and he says, well, yeah. that's a kind of a cool idea. I think I should look at that. Yeah. And, uh, and again, just how does, and he's come back to Disney. How, do, when he's coming back, what's he thinking? How yeah. does he approach this re recreation of a Disney experience that they kind of got lost on? Yep. It would just be fascinating to hear him think out loud. Anyway, Absolutely. that's, wouldn't that be cool? So David, one of the questions I want to ask you kind of out of the gate, uh, it's, it's both an observation and I, I'd love to kind of open the, the door for conversation. When you talk about, uh, value creation as it relates to HR, it is so different from what I normally hear in that I normally hear a discussion of result or, or rather of work, you know, kind of effort and focus, and then retrospectively a discussion around, well, how are we going to show the value of this? It, it, it comes after the fact. And when I hear you talk about HR and value creation, there's an integration of that it's it, it's intentional and it's at the onset of the design of the work and i love it i i think you are so on in how you talk about value creation in the intersection with hr could could you expand kind of uh with the yeah. audience on your view let on me this? i mean i think the principles are not just within hr but lifetime yeah let's assume you know somebody married to jillian mm -hmm. and this person yeah. this person <laughs> wants to give her a gift yep how do you de how do you decide what gift to give her? Yeah, it's got to be personal, right? Uh, otherwise, yeah. anybody could have done it. What's meaningful to her? Yeah, I mean, when I got married, um, I bought my wife tickets to sporting events, and her comment was, "Enjoy yourself." Uh, <laughs> and the principle values defined by the receiver. In fact, it's interesting. Yeah. I know you have kids. We had kids when our, we had three kids when we were growing up. My wife was doing a PhD. I was traveling. I was working. We talk, I thought, what's the best gift I could give her? So we celebrate Christmas. I took our three kids for a week. So it was really interesting. What's the best gift you can give your wife? Go away. Leave her alone for seven days. And she said, that's the best gift ever. Now, that's the principle. Value is not what we do. It's what somebody gets because of what we do. So in HR, when you walk into a meeting, you're going to say, I'm going to propose a new leadership program, a culture change program, a compensation program. Don't start with the program. What's the value of that program to a stakeholder the company cares about? Will a customer get more, more results? Will an investor, will the community? Who's going to succeed because of this discussion I'm going to have? 
And when we start with the outcome, the value, the, the stakeholder, I think then we create HR programs that are just really fun. They're not, my line, HR is not about HR. It's about creating value for the key stakeholders. Okay, that's my bias. It applies to Jillian. I got to find out what's something you've given her lately that's meaningful to her, it, that you can share, that's appropriate. Um, so her her big uh, Christmas grift, we also celebrate Christmas uh, in our house, was I, I got us tickets to Taylor Swift. So we Uh-oh. we are huge Swifties. <laughs> we have not been. Last year was our year of Elton. We're, we're, we're going all in the Swifties this year. I get it. I get it. One year, my wife likes music and i happened to call barbara streisand was doing the 15th final tour she's done a lot of final tours <laughs> and i called vegas and they had just had a seat cancel in the front row and so i took my wife to vegas to see barbara streisand Huge. and my wife said you must love me a lot and i said oh i've worked on this for uh, days i just happened yeah. to call it got lucky it's the same thing values defined by the receiver and yeah. and when you take that in hr envision if you're in a company of a hundred or 500 or 5,000, when you walk into a business meeting, do not start with HR. Start by saying, who's the customer of the company? Who's an investor? Who's the community where we live? What do we need to do as a company to serve them better? And then say leadership, training, staffing, all the HR stuff so that we serve them. I mean, I do that and I go, why haven't we been doing this forever? Because it makes so much sense. Well, hey, just to continue with this analogy of of I'm going to go back to the the tickets for a minute. I was so worried that I would I would screw up the delivery of this experience <laughs> for for my wife. It was probably one of the more uh, uneventful surprises because what I ended up doing was about a month before Christmas, I just discussed like, hey, I've got an awesome gift for you. This the surprise is going to be right now. So I shared with her what it was, but I was like, but I need your help planning it because we have a lot of logistics in our lives. We got a bunch of kids. We need childcare coverage. There's travel. I was like, I don't want to give you the gift that turns out to be just an absolute flop because I've created a bunch of work. So like, why don't we plan it together? And oh, cool. I needed her integration in to make cool. sure that it was an awesome experience, which That's I think so cool. probably so cool. is and, part and it, of, did it work? Was it a great experience? Oh, we had a blast. We, we poured a glass of wine sat down at the laptop and planned out the whole experience. Um, you know, we haven't had it yet, but I think there's a parallel here on integration with business partners, right? Same like, thing. Same thing. By the way, I'm you now have 20 people it. who would love to be married to you. So, uh, <laughs> but, but, but I love, I mean, the principle is pretty universal. Don't start with what you know and do start with what others could benefit from and then show how your knowledge helps them. It's the same is true with kids um, when our daughter had a messy room, clean your room, clean your room. Now you don't yeah. have that at uh, teenagers, but you know, their room's a mess. Don't yeah. say clean your room. So my house is nice. No, clean your room so that you have a better experience in your room. Um, right. anyway, LND unlocked parenting advice, marital advice, LND <laughs> and HR, you get it all when they're non-discriminating on this show. Um, Hey, if I can, I'm going to turn the, turn the page a little bit. Uh, I, I would say, in, in my sense, one of the things you're, you're 
when I hear your name, that just almost is synonymous is is human capability. They go they they go hand in hand. You did so much incredible research. I was wondering if you could touch a little bit on its evolution because I think you just yeah. hit a pretty big yeah. milestone with the with the we, uh, model. We, you know, the, the, the management of people and organizations is not new. One of the things that frustrates me is people repackage stuff without looking at the history, and mm-hmm. I love to see evolution of ideas. In managing people, personnel, terms and conditions of work, you got to do them. How do we pay? How do we train? How do we hire people? Got it. Personnel. Level two is HR. It's not terms and conditions. It's improving those practices, staffing, training, development. And you build. You got to pay people. You got to get the systems right. Level three is what was called human capital. We manage that so our people are engaged. Our people are committed. Human capital, the people. Where we go to human capability, it's personnel plus human resource tools plus human capital. Mm -hmm. Two things. It's three things. It's outside in. It's so that we succeed in a marketplace. That wasn't part of the legacy. Two, it's not just people. This is so powerful for me. Um, I just did a talk to a group in Africa, and I had them do this live. And I won't uh, embarrass you or myself, but I had them hold up their fingers. That's talent. That's our people. Their fist is organization. That's capability. Human is talent. Capability is organization. Leadership is a combination. And then the forearms are the HR services. And then I made them do a dance. Um, I won't make you do that. But but when I'm in HR, I walk into a meeting and I say, outside in, who's our customer? Who's our investor? What do they need in terms of talent, organization, capability, leadership, and HR services to make it happen? So number one, outside in. Two, human capability is really four things. Talent, organization, leadership. My PhD decades ago is numerical taxonomy. Nobody cares what it is. Taxonomy is the science of simplicity. How do you take a complex world and make it simple? Usually through statistics. And that's our simple world. It's like, have you ever been to a restaurant in Atlanta? I don't know if you've been to Roos Chris. Imagine Roos Chris or some other nice restaurant where there's no categorization. They got a hundred items on the menu, just randomly assorted coffee, dessert, drink. You'd go, I don't know how to order. Well, there's an order, appetizer, drinks, coffees, main course, salad, soups. That's human capability. It's a classification of all HR work into people, talent, organization, capability, leadership, and the HR function. And then the third, that's the line managers. Our job in HR is to empower line managers to make that happen. Yeah. Outside in, human capability line manager duty. Hey, David, in, in that first category of uh, talent, um, could you speak maybe some of the trends that that you see this year, specifically when it comes to developing employees? A lot of our audience is in that, Love squarely it. in that space. Love it. Love it. I just did a talk uh, for a company this week on what are some trends in the L&D space. I could, I could do a, a 60 minute talk. I won't. <laughs> I had 10. Let me hit two or three really quickly. Sure. The first one on my list is it's not about what we teach. It's what people get. That's that value added. If we're not, Mm -hmm. and if somebody says, here's my leadership training program, my comment would be, who's going to benefit? Not just the leaders who attend, but how do you see a line of sight to the customer? Are we teaching in this leadership program things that will cause a customer to buy more from us? Are we teaching in this leadership program things that will give an investor more confidence in our future leaders to increase our stock price? or lower the cost of capital. Are we changing? I'll just hit two or three. Mm-hmm. I love the idea, and, and you're obviously part of that in, the, in in Biz Library. 
how often do we have new material? I look at a company right. and say, show me your training material. Show me what it was three years ago. It's the same stuff. The world's changing. I yeah. use the metaphor half-life of knowledge. When is 50% of what I do out of date? I have a friend in engineering. He teaches mm -hmm. PhD students. For him, it's 12 months. Every 12 months in his PhD engineer, electrical engineering course, he needs new material, 50% new stuff. For me, it's about two and a half to three years. Every two and a half, I should go back. I should look at what I did in 2000. I yep. should be teaching 30 to 40% new. That's 15 to 20% every year. Yep. Am I learning? Am I agile in your training? Uh, boy, I could hit more. I'll do one more. Are you learning everywhere? There's a model in our field called 70-20-10. We've all seen it. 70% mm -hmm. of learning is experience, 20% coaching, yep. and 10% on the, on, on the job or training. Morgan McCall was the architect of that, one of the architects at the Center for Creative Leadership. And I said, Morgan, where did you come up with that? And he said, I made it up. <laughs> and I said, tell me more with Bob Eichinger and Mike Lombardo, some brilliant folks. And, and he said, well, we looked at what drives change. And so I made it up. And, I, and he said, everybody started studying it. I thought, that's what I love. I, that's the stuff of LinkedIn. You, you know, you, you make heard it here, folks. Up. I heard it, it here. <laughs> so I said, I'm going to make up something else. And he said, what's yours? 50, 30, 20. What's that? 50% on the job. Got it. 30% trained done differently. If you're in the L&D space, don't just do facilitated training, case studies, even actual learning. We call it learning solutions. For example. This is the 30%. I teach at Michigan. We're going to do four hours or eight hours on talent, 25, 30 people. Mm -hmm. Write down the biggest talent challenge you have in your company today. 20 people, write it down. Let's talk about them. List them. They fall into four categories. We're now going to spend an hour and a half on each of those four. Some of my faculty, their eyes get big and say, are you crazy? <laughs> I teach this case study 22 times. I know what the board's going to look like. I know my questions. And I go... That's not a learning solution. That's a canned presentation. Yeah. Make learning a guest experience. Get involved in the business. And then 20, 50% on the job, no question. 30%, I call it guest training. When you visit a country, I, I've been on tour once or twice, and you're a guest of the country. You, 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 What do you see? You see the bus, you see the hotel, you see the can. I love to go to a country, and I don't know if you've ever done this, where you're not a tourist. You're a guest. And you go to where people shop, you wander around, you, you get a feel in their homes. Yeah, We've done that. And it just, that's what training should be. And then 20% learning from not at work. You have five kids. Huge. I bet you're yeah. learning a lot about performance management by toilet training. And people go, what are you talking about? Toilet training is performance management. Set a goal. Be very clear about the expectations. When it works, give a positive reward. When it doesn't work, don't punish, but encourage. And I go... Wow. And now th that's really a silly example. Almost every company does philanthropy. Are you using your philanthropy work to train the next generation of leaders? What a simple question. I, and I'll give a quick example. A company in New York bank said, we're going to do our 40 hours of training, our high potentials. You know, they're going to go to a class and learn a case study about a company they don't care about. I'm being a little cynical there. <laughs> and I said, let me change it. Ask those high potentials driven. These are bankers, investment bankers to go do four hours a month of coaching of a not-for-profit in New York. Really? Yeah, try it. By the way, I get emotional here. They almost all doubled down. They found an 
a cause that they appreciated, whatever it was, a not-for-profit in New York, and they were doing six to eight hours, a couple hours a week, coaching the executives in those not-for-profits. They'd come together once a quarter and say, so what are you learning about leadership in the bank and for you personally by coaching them? And the takeaway was that had so much more impact than doing a case study of a company you don't care about. That's the kind of stuff you hear me getting excited about yeah. HR value. That's so cool. Yeah, um, I love that. So that not only is there kind of this uh, altruistic component where we're getting by the community, you're seeing just the, the business outcomes are better too. Oh, yeah, because people would say, wow, I always thought, I've always heard this stuff about goal setting and let's talk about smart goals and we have our 17 steps. I'm working with this agency that doesn't have a clear set of goals. So let me tell you what I did with them. And then the question is, so how would that apply to you? How would that apply to the bank? And they're going, wow. Anyway, that's the kind of stuff that I just, I, I was on the board of directors at Herman Miller. We give money to charities for the first few years. We used to puff our chest. Look at how brilliant we are giving money away. And then we thought that's stupid. We have enough ego. Let's get an employee group to decide how to give the money away. Mm-hmm. Let them learn about goals. And and anyway, I so 50% on the job, 30%, I call it guests, not tourist training, and 20% learning from outside of work. It, it, they, one like recurring thought I keep having is, is, is I listen to you describe kind of all the dynamics thus far is it keeps getting back to relevance for the in learner and and ultimately relevance in driving outcomes are how much of this is we as practitioners in industry are just evolving and getting better. How much of this do you think is employee expectations of I'm not going to continue to participate in irrelevant training because everywhere else in my life, things are getting more personalized. They're getting more relevant. The quality is going, you know, what do you think about where the, the pressure dynamics between what we, you know, internally and, and the, the employee? What do you think? What do you think? I think a lot of this pressure is coming from employee demand that uh, as we see the generational change, I think is, is a big shift. You know, we, we, we see uh, Gen Z coming online and, and I couldn't be more excited. I, I'm an elder millennial. I think they're like millennials, but better. Um, <laughs> I think uh, post COVID you have a uh, largely adopted now kind of remote first culture that I think is, is driving uh, a component uh, of this and entirely new dynamics in the employee employer relationship where they say, Hey, I, I have flexibility. Like I've never had before. I have expectations of you too. Can I take one of your words and circle it and blow it up? Yeah. Personalization, personalization. Mm-hmm. That's the new generation. I mean, we personalize the clothes we wear. We personalize our identity. We personalize almost everything about our lives except work. Well, let's personalize work. For example, hybrid. Oh, what's hybrid going to be? Well, it's going to depend. What works for you? I'm going to bet you have personalized work. Sometimes you're in a studio. Sometimes you're at home. uh, Sometimes you're on an airplane. Sometimes you're in a hotel. How do we as an organization personalize learning in a way that works for that employee? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be one of the key trends. And I think the next generation is going to see more of that. It's not cookie cutter. I, I hate it when somebody says, oh, I have an idea. One size fits all. And my comment is, I'm sorry, I'm not that size. Uh, <laughs> so how do you personalize? And then the paradox is, how do you standardize personalization? How do you scale personalizing? And 
And if I'm an L&D person, I go, so who's going to be attending this program? What are the outcomes we hope to get in the marketplace? How do I personalize that learning experience with coaching, with AI? AI allows us to really do some cool stuff with training. How do I personalize that with the the thing I just said with learning solutions? I love to start a discussion with your problem. And so at the end of that six hours of talent, I say, go back to the challenge you wrote. Number one, did you get the challenge right? Number two, have you got an idea you can go do personally in your organization? So I'm going to circle your word. Flexibility was called. I love the term personalization. What works for you? And uh, let it lets us in L&D begin to scale in a real way, the personalization. And I hope that keeps the employees more connected. For example, um, just again, we've been very personal. This is more fun than I thought. Um, (laughs) When we went to Michigan a long time ago, we had two and a half kids. So that means my wife was pregnant and my wife was starting a PhD program. We decided to, the same as you with kids, we decided not to outsource our kids, that we would try to not just have a full-time live-in. I cut back for the first four years at Michigan while Wendy was doing her PhD. I stayed home with Mm -hmm. kids two days a week. That's a very personalized career track. Incredible. Yeah. Well, no, the faculty didn't love it. I didn't get tenure. Um, <laughs> it worked because, for you. It worked for us. Ways. Yeah. And, well, and they said, well, you didn't get tenure because you're not smart enough. And that may be true too. But I was home two days a week. I took my kids to soccer. I took my, I was part of the, the women's driving group two days a week. And it was wonderful. And then when, when he got her degree, she looked at me and said, you know, you need to be out of the house more. Uh, <laughs> but we personalize. I think that's so exciting in today's world. And technology yeah. lets us do that more than ever more than ever. At Biz Library, we know that employee development and retention have never been more critical to your business. We help you build learning programs that create safe and inclusive work environments, elevate employee skills, and develop leaders who drive results. So now, you can take award-winning Biz Library content and put it to work to help overcome your biggest challenges. Biz Library where learning happens. I'd love to maybe talk about some of the the not-so-fun elements of this. Um, Where I have seen, but personally, uh, within our own business, within our customer base, I think broadly in, in, in the market discussion, I think... One specific person who bears some of the brunt of this are those first-line leaders. Fist, fist bump, fist bump, fist yeah, bump. Okay, here we go. Oh, fifth, we get leadership all is today. at the first line. I, yeah. And I'm so glad you raised it. We do research. I'm, I'm not boring you with data. Aaron Burns just uh, finished, and, and Leslie Kawhi just finished for our company, an incredible research project. And I'll highlight it. I could go too long. Okay. It's on LinkedIn if you want to look it up. They looked at outcomes and they looked at organization outcomes. And so the issue is not what's the skill, what's the skill that drives an outcome? Notice that's Mm -hmm. the bias we've got. It isn't just, oh, I woke up today and I think leaders should set a vision. Well, where's the data? So we have data. We have a big data set. We looked at frontline leaders Mm -hmm. and we found something that just is remarkable to me. Post-COVID and in the new world today, AI uncertainty, leaders should focus on hope for the future more than empathy for the present. Let me say that again. 
and things I'm reading, everybody says, you're a leader, you need to be empathetic. So how is it with your kids? How is it with your life? How is it? The answer is yes, but to drive outcomes, maybe that's 20 to 30% and 70 to 80 is, let me give you hope of where we're taking this company and how you fit into the future. So instead of just getting caught into the, the, the it's almost a, uh, an empathy trap. I care about you. I like you. You know, yeah, yeah, you can bring a child to work. That's still there. But the real power is focusing on the future. That was amazing to me because I fall to the trap. Oh, give empathy, give compassion. The ultimate empathy and compassion is helping people have hope in their future at the front line. I love that. Uh, David, we'll get a link to that resource. Make sure that we, we share it out. Um, Something we've talked about with, with other guests on this show, and I, I think we're we're circling around the same sort of conversation, is the the balance between personalization, caring and compassionate cultures with with performance cultures, because we, we are still here to deliver value to customers and, and shareholders. And I think that that sounds like a phenomenal approach to helping move closer to that equilibrium. Well, let me let me circle. I, I, I circled your word personalization. I'm going to circle another word balance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In our literature, the term balance is navigating a paradox. We often say from two, from administrative to strategic. Well, that's stupid. It's and also. That's the balance. How do I manage personalization and standardization? How do I manage consistency and change? And so what we found in that same research is successful frontline and all leaders. I like the word navigate. You don't manage paradox away. You live in that tension of A and B. How am I flexible and how am I standard? How do I change? How do I do the same? How am I top down and bottom up, long-term, short-term? When leaders can navigate those tensions or balance them, they're the leaders that tend to have more impact on the company. So circle personalization, yeah. circle balance. And that's what some of the research that Aaron and Leslie found. I, uh, I was honored to be a small part of their work. You know, David, I was, um, I had one, I was going to get to, uh, first line leaders either. I get there a little earlier than I thought. Um, one thing I was, I was thinking you could specifically weigh in on, uh, you had shared out, uh, a recent post on LinkedIn that included some looks at what's shifted in the requirements. And one thing I thought was really interesting in the more important now for first line leadership was attracting and retaining talent. And on on less important, not, not, not important at all, but less important was in the development of employees. I was wondering if you, if you had any thoughts on, on that or could elaborate. Great question. We, uh, one of the things we love to do, and let me just get your headset into it. In the talent space, there's a number of places I can invest. So mm -hmm. I go to a business leader if I'm in L&D and say, talent matters. And they go, really? Of course they do. So can uh, in, in one retail company, they found that in in stores, that had more positive employee engagement, however you want to measure it, the basket size went from 40 to 50. Think about what that means. We're going to get a 25% premium when our employees, and in those stores that had a higher score on engagement, we're going to get a 25% increase in revenue. Whew, that's pretty IQ. We should do it. So the company said, we're going to invest more in talent. Got it. Then the question is, here's 10 talent initiatives we can invest in, hiring, training, compensation, diversity initiatives, communication, employee experience. Of all of these initiatives, where should we focus? That's actually a more interesting question. Talent matters. Where should we focus? And again, statistically, how do we allocate the, the resource? The company is going to give 
a million dollars to increase talent, where would I spend the million? And our research shows getting the right people in the company on the team becomes critical. Have I done a good job getting the people on the team? Making sure they have a great work experience becomes critical. And we can begin now to say, where should we invest in talent? And where should I, as a leader, allocate a, a, a limited resource to a, and, and make unlimited what talent can offer? And so that's the research we've been doing. That doesn't discount training at all. But frankly, if you get the right people in, the training is less about attend a course to learn something. You learned it coming in. Now we're going to go back to the training about how do we give you a great job experience to take you the next mm-hmm. step? How do we how do we embellish your learning by having you work on a not-for-profit board? How do we then take you to the next step? Because we we got the skill set coming in. Now we're going to get the next skill set as we move forward. But that's <laughs> the question we, we really love. A, talent matters. Okay, we get that. Our basket size will go from 40 to 50. That's great. Yep. Now, where do I invest? This company, by the way, they decided the following. Take a number, 100 points, whatever that number is. It could be a million, 10 million, or $100 million. 40% was going to go into pay. So we're going to pay you more. Mm-hmm. And then they found 40% went to first-line supervisor training. Because what they said is, wow. if our first-line supervisors are more able to do the things we just talked about, we think that will have a higher impact on employee engagement than some other initiatives, you know, a communication initiative or a, uh, or a benefits program or some other stuff. And then the other 20% was allocated, but they said it's that frontline supervisor who has the biggest impact on the employee's experience. And they then have the impact on the customer experience again, to get basket size from 40 to 50. Um, that's what they decided. That's what they found yeah. in their work. David, throughout the episode, there has been, uh, I think, this omnipresent optimism for the future, even a, a specified strategy, you know, lean, lean with hope. Um, I do consider myself a romantic at heart. And you ended your most recent post with, I thought, just the most beautiful quote. It, it was a Churchill quote. Uh, curious, have you been to the Churchill War Rooms uh, in not. London? I have not. I love oh his gosh. stuff. He was such... What an incredible, he reinvented himself. Yes. I mean, he, and he kept doing it. Now he was a little something personally, but, but, <laughs> but, but he kept reinventing himself. I love the quote. Can you remember what it said? Yes. I, I've got it. I've got it right here. Uh, so, so the, the quote was now is not the end. It is not even the beginning of the end, but it is perhaps the end of the beginning. So let me make that personal. And you can do this with your guest. It's so cool. Say to them, so what's the best year of your life? And you'll get crazy answers. It's the year I left home. It's the year I had my kids. It's the year I got married. It's the year I graduated. And my comment to them is, you've completely missed it. The best year of your life is the next 12 months. And if the next 12 months is not the best year of your life, there's something wrong. Yeah. If I, I'd love to have you ask your guest that and then kind of go, nah, 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 nah. anyway, I got you. But for me, that's been a passion. It's that, and, and this is why when you say I want to do some work with biz library and learning, the next 12 months will be the best year of my life. What are you going to do? I don't know, but they're going to be yeah. a great year because I'm going to learn. I'm going to observe. And if the, I say to folks, don't look back for the best year, look ahead, but I don't know what's going to happen. That's okay. Make it the best 12 months. So anyway, that's, yeah. and that Churchill quote is just brilliant. This is not the end. It's the end of the beginning. And um, 
lovely quote. If uh, to, if next time you find yourself in London, drop me a line. I'll, I'll meet you there. The the, the war rooms were fantastic. Um, if you did not take away from this episode practical skills for work, your home, your family life, you got to check your pulse. I think this is by far one of my favorite episodes, Dave. I can't thank you enough for being here. I learned a ton. I'd love to have you back uh, next time it works for your schedule and certainly look forward for those, for those who aren't already, where can we follow you? Where can we make sure that we're LinkedIn is probably the easiest place. I mean, I started there. I've got quite a few followers at this point. And, uh, somebody said, is that really you? And it is. Um, and I'll tell you why I remember I started by talking about, there's a guy in our field named Carl Wyke, who is one of the academics academic. And I said, Carl, how do you stay fresh? And he said, I get up. And I spend three hours a day reading academic journals. And I said, why? No, I didn't say that. I have great respect for Carl. And he said, I learn. I spend an hour to a day commenting on LinkedIn. That's my learning platform. It doesn't work all yeah. the time, but learn with me. And um, what, what's your passion, Chris? If you said, this is what I am certain about, what would you say your passion is in your learning a journey? What would you say your passion is? My passion is to learn. What would you say yeah. your passion is? The, the focus of, of my, uh, my journey. learning efforts right now. Yeah. Right now, uh, if you're interested as a, as a practitioner in my day-to-day role, a chief revenue officer, I'm really interested in trends right now in the evolution of business to business purchasing. It's getting far more like business, uh, B2C business to consumer and that hey, people don't always want to talk with salespeople. They never have. They, they wanted information to make informed purchasing decisions. And we now have technology to better enable that. And, I'm, uh, and we're, we're right at the front lines of it. It's, it's a really fascinating time. Cool. Great time to learn. That's my passion as well. Not the business to business, but learning as a principle. Yeah. Thank you. What a privilege to join you. And I hope we can do this again. Likewise. Thanks so much. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Make sure to subscribe if you're not and uh, check out Dave's uh, page, subscribe to his uh, post as well. Thank you, everybody. See you next time. This episode has been brought to you by Biz Library. Head to bizlibrary.com for more information.